0: Morning, everyone. You've kind of got to commit to that last song, don't you? Thank you very much, Mark. Let me ask you a question. Do do you ever talk to yourself? Do you? Do you ever talk to yourself either either out loudly or internally? Now, I know that this can be considered a warning sign, can be considered evidence that you might be losing it, But I I was reading recently that there's a growing body of research to indicate how self-talk, talking to yourself can actually help in three ways. It can help with memory recall, it can help with confidence, and it can help with focus. Well, this morning, as part of what we're going to look at together, I want to encourage you to consider giving yourself a real good talking to this morning, okay, on this Christmas Eve 2017. One of my favorite quotes from that article I read was this. I don't have it on the screen. Here's one of my favorite quotes from that article I was reading. All of us need to talk to someone who's interesting, intelligent, and knows us well, and that is us. We are probably the most interesting person we know. I'm not so sure about that, but I, but I do, honestly, I really do want you to consider having a conversation with yourself this morning. For anyone who's visiting, this is our third and final week of this little mini Advent series called All I Want for Christmas Is, and it's not you, and it's not a couple of new incisors. But two weeks ago, we thought about hope. All I want for Christmas is hope. And we specifically thought about the hope of forgiveness. And then last week, we considered and we highlighted and we honed in on joy, and we looked in particular at the joy of salvation. And we read Isaiah 35, where Isaiah promised that your God will come and he will come to save. And at this time of year, we celebrate the fact that our God did come, Emmanuel, God with us. And he, Jesus, came to save his people from their sins. And that particular message, that particular slant at Christmas has been a recurring one here at Windsor this year. It's been, if you like, on a kind of loop that the core reason Jesus came was to save his people from their sins and to do that via forgiveness. The third Advent word, and we're going to be really repeating some of that this morning, but the third Advent word that I want to use to complete this sentence, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and his only son into the world. And so we gather here today And we'll gather again tomorrow morning to reflect on the amazing love of Christmas and love of God. And this morning, I want to consider the extent and the scope of that love. And as we do that, I want to take us back into the prayer book of the Bible. Back to the Psalms. Back to another non-Christmassy text of Scripture and to the words of Psalm 103, which are one of my favorite, and I know they are many people's favorite portion of Scripture. Here are words that have been described as timeless. They are words that were and are meant to be sung, and we will sing some of them later, but they were meant to be sung for a particular reason, and that particular reason was to inspire people. These are words that inhale And exhale praise. And so if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 103. And as we always do, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. The words will appear on the screen. And what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to invite you to read the second verse. So let's uh, stand with me. If you read the words in yellow, that would be brilliant. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, commit yourself to this as well, okay? Just go for it. Who forgives all your sins or iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Who who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. He has made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Grab a seat. That is a psalm that kind of just celebrates, that pulsates, that just resonates with the abounding, amazing, abundant, steadfast, unfailing love of God. But the writer, who is probably David, I know that's what it says in many of our translations, but we can't know this for that for certain. But the writer begins this psalm by talking to himself. He's practicing self-talking or self-exhortation. He's telling himself to do something. In fact, if you notice at the start of the psalm, he tells himself to do two things, and here they are. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And the second thing he tells himself, please, do not forget all of the Lord's benefits. Do not overlook a single blessing. And why is he talking to himself? Well, partly because it seems he's in danger of not praising God. He's in danger of not remembering there is a real risk of him neglecting to worship and of him forgetting to say thank you for God's goodness shown to him. And so what does he do? He talks to himself. And I want to suggest that we all face similar dangers and similar risks, even at Christmas, because let's be honest, life crowds in. Busyness does take over. There are distractions everywhere, and we can easily forget and we can easily lose focus and our hearts do drift and our hearts do harden and our hearts do crow cold. And we can even turn up the church and simply just go through the motions. We can walk in here and walk out of here strangely unaffected. We can honor God with our lips and yet, if we're honest, our hearts aren't in it. Jonathan Edwards, 18th century Puritan theologian, believed there is no true worship that does not touch our affections. There's no true worship that does not move us, stir us. We just stand, we just sing, and just go through the motions and honor God with our lips. And yet, our hearts can be far from God this morning. And so here in this psalm, the writer, the psalmist, is stirring himself within. He's stirring up his emotions. He tells himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, all my inmost being. He doesn't want this to be superficial. He doesn't want this to be mere lip service. He wants to do it from the inside out, from the heart. And so he's urging himself to praise. He's urging himself to get a grip and sing. And maybe for some of us here this morning on this Christmas Eve, we need to do exactly that whether internally we need to have that conversation with ourselves or whether you need to sit here this morning and you need to audibly have that conversation with yourself, I encourage you to do it. Just go for it. We need a bit of self-exhortation every now and again. And as the psalmist does this for himself, I want to suggest, and he indirectly does it for all of us, he recalls and he remembers and he recognizes a number of God's benefits, a number of God's tangible and definite benefits definite blessings that are his. Why are they his and why are they ours? Because of God's abundant, abounding, steadfast, unfailing love. The whole psalmist, they say, pulsates with that. And as he talks to himself, he says, I need to recall, I need not to forget all God's amazing benefits. Why? Because he's a God who loves me. He loves me passionately, and he loves me extravagantly, and he loves me lavishly. And this morning, on this Christmas Eve, if we can remind ourselves afresh of God's immense love and all his benefits, all his kindness to us, then do you know something? Meeting round this table in a few moments may take on a different and deeper meaning. So what I want to do really quickly is look at the five benefits that the psalmist identifies. And if you've got a copy of God's Word open, that would be really good. So he talks to himself about these five benefits. And I really do want to encourage you to just have a conversation with yourself this morning about these. And so the first is found at the beginning of verse 3. And here is the first benefit. Who forgives all your sins, all our sins. And now we're back to this recurring Christmas slant at Windsor. The first benefit that the psalmist recalls is the forgiveness of his sins, and rightly so, for it is the greatest gift, it is the greatest blessing that we can ever receive. Question is, do we know that? Do we believe that? Of course we should count our many other blessings and name them one by one if you want families and friends and material possessions, whatever. But you know something, where would we be if we were to have, if we were to acquire any or all of those things and yet lose our very souls? Where would we be? Forgiveness of sin is the greatest benefit that any of us can ever receive from God and we can only receive it because God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, the Savior, our Savior, to save his people from their sins. Forgiveness is and can be ours because the one who arrived at Christmas came to take away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist announced. And he did this by laying down his life on a cross. He who had no sin became sin for us. And therefore, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. We are set free. We find freedom through the blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And as you read the rest of the psalm, the writer keeps coming back to this incredible benefit to reinforce its enormity. And I want to talk this up this morning. And so look at verse 10, where he says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. God does not repay us according to our iniquities. Two weeks ago, I don't know if you were here, but we looked at Psalm 130. And I don't know if you remember those words we read. Lord, if you were to keep a record of my sin." I'd be flat on my face. Because if the Lord was to keep a record of any of our sins, none of us could stand in His presence here this morning. But the amazing message of the Bible and of Christmas is that God does not treat you as your sins deserve. God doesn't keep a record of your sins, your mess ups, and your mistakes. But instead, He sent Jesus to save us from all of them, all of them, not just a certain number of them, but all of them. Did you hear what the psalmist said? Who forgives all our sins. I don't know how that makes you feel this morning. I don't know if that does impact your heart. But as I even reflect back in this past week and some of the things I've thought and some of the things I've said and some of the things I've done to sit here this morning and stand here this morning and to know God hasn't kept a record of those, but he forgives me. Because he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. I'm sorry, God, that so often I do just honor you with my lips, but my heart is far from you. As I consider this incredible benefit that is mine because of Jesus, because of Christmas, because a Savior has been born to us this day. And to emphasize this and to be crystal clear regarding the extent to which God forgives, look at verse 12, just in case we're in any doubt. These are well-known, well-rehearsed words. I mentioned them last Sunday at the carol services. I will mention them, and I will illustrate them tomorrow morning. But listen again to these words. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us? Since east and west are directions and not necessarily points in a compass, there is an infinite, immeasurable distance between them. And maybe that is what the psalmist had in mind. Or it may be, as Roy Clements once suggested, that the psalmist is trying to point that out, that however many miles you think lies between east and west, you cannot look in both ways at once. You have to turn your back on one in order to look in the direction of the other. And when God forgives us, he puts our sins and us on two different horizons. So when he looks at our sin, he is no longer looking at us. And when he looks at us, he is no longer looking at our sin. To use the vocabulary and language, technical language of Paul, we are justified. It is just as if we had never sinned. How does that make you feel this morning? Bless The Lord, oh my soul, says the psalmist, and forget not all of his benefits. And number one on the list, the greatest benefit that we can have is that God forgives all our sins. And we sit here this morning, or many of us sit here this morning as forgiven people because a Savior has been born at Christmas who's called Jesus and he has come to save his people from their sins by making forgiveness personal. And if we've lost the wonder of that, if we've forgotten the reality and extent of that, if we have started to eat bread and drink this cup in a mechanical, detached, unengaged way, then please, please consider giving yourself a good good talking to this morning. Please, stir up praise within yourself. Stir up your emotions this Christmas and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, because, God, you forgive all my sins. And if you're here this morning and you've never received or accepted that, you've never eaten bread or drank wine to remember and give thanks to Jesus, God's ultimate Christmas gift, then why not talk to yourself this morning and begin to bless the Lord from the inside out from maybe the very first time as you surrender your life to your creator and your Lord. That's, that's one benefit down. We're still four to go, but you can relax. These are much quicker. Okay, let's look at the second one. Number two, it's the end of verse three. Tricky one. Who heals all your diseases. Who forgives all your sins. Absolutely, every time. Who heals all your diseases. And we've got to be really careful with this one because you know something? There's been some ropey theology built on a verse like this. Confusing. Because the Bible is pretty clear that sickness is part of life. No one, not one of us sitting in this church, this hall this morning, is immune from sickness and illness and disease. And although God can and does heal, it's not automatic, it's not every time, and it's not everyone who is healed in this life. In fact, certain Bible passages clearly teach that God has his purposes in sickness and in illness and in weakness. The Bible also teaches that those things can also often lead to stronger relationship and deeper faith. And so either way, the thing is that one day, and I know this is true, one day, Revelation 21, one day there will be no more sickness and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more pain. But until then, the healing of all our diseases may not necessarily be a reference to physical healing. But it could include, and it maybe does include, and many people think that the verb used here means this specifically, it may include inner spiritual healing and the eternal scarring of the consequences of our sin. That every single time God does heal that particular disease. But I also believe God can and does physically heal, but it's not automatic, it's not every time, and it's not every person who is healed this side of the next life, but one day, one day. And so God does heal. And I think, believe, the psalmist is singing about that. He knows that. And although at times it may not always fit, that particular phrase may not always fit with our expectation or understanding, the psalmist clearly recognizes, do you know something? God has the power. God has the ability to heal. And he will, and he does in his time, and in his purposes, and for his purposes. Who forgives all our sins, bless the Lord, O my soul. Who heals all my diseases, all my inmost being. And then the third benefit, verse four, beginning of verse four, who redeems your life from the pit. And the idea here is that the psalmist realizes that God preserves and protects his life from sheol, That's the literal translation, as I understand it, it, of the pit. He protects and he preserves your life and mine from Sheol, which could mean the depth, it could mean the grave, it could mean hell. And someone who is forgiven, someone who has been saved and rescued... The psalmist recognizes he is that person and therefore he rejoices because do you know something? Death is not the end. The grave is not my final. I need a wake-up call to praise. Whenever we are in danger of losing perspective, I want to suggest that nothing or very little focuses the mind as an awareness that there is more to life than this. Nothing focuses the mind so much as an awareness that there is life after death that there is an eternal perspective on life. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And what we've also got to bear in mind is that this life, the one that we are currently living in comparison to eternity, it is incredibly short and transitory. So in verse 14, look at what the writer recognizes. We didn't read it this morning. He says, do you know something? This is what he sings. We're just dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, says the psalmist. He knows that life is brief, but having been redeemed from the pit, the psalmist reminds himself of the fact, but do you know something? There is more to life and I am going to enjoy it. Why? Because I have been forgiven. Because I have been saved. Because I have been redeemed, to use his language. I have been rescued. I have been set free. And that is an incredible benefit. I do not need to fear the future. I do not need to fear death. Later writers will say, Death, where's your sting? It's gone. Why? Because my God has redeemed me from Sheol, from the depths, from the grave, and from hell itself. And then the fourth benefit is that God crowns him with steadfast love and mercy. End of verse four. Loyal love and tender compassion are resting on him. He's been He's been crowned with these things. He feels like a king. God has honored him with loyal love and tender compassion. And you, if you are a child of God, you wear those things this morning. That is what you have come to church adorned with. Love and compassion clothe you. And finally, the fifth benefit, God provides or he satisfies us with good things so that your youth can be renewed like he oh if only. But the point here, the language, the imagery here is this, God gives us good things in order to strengthen us. And just like the Apostle James, the psalmist knows that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And therefore, the fact that I'm just breathing here this morning, the fact that we stand here with clothes in my back, food on the table to go home to, money in my pocket, or some anyway, our families and our friends, whatever it is, the psalmist knows, as the Apostle James did, do you know, everything comes from God, and as I think about the good things he has given to me, my heart is strengthened. My whole being is strengthened, and therefore, I am gonna bless the Lord. Here are five benefits. You are forgiven. You are healed. You are redeemed. You are crowned. You are strengthened. And as it closes, the psalmist reminds himself of these things. He recalls something that Moses discovered and we've been saying over and over again. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says the psalmist says, he made known his ways to Moses. He did this at one stage. And the stage that he did this to was in Exodus 34, whenever God called Moses back up the mountain. It's after the whole golden calf debacle. And God calls Moses back up the mountain, and he passes in front of Moses. And this is what he says to Moses. He says, the Lord the Lord is merciful, and he is gracious, and he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. And in Exodus 34, he goes on to say, abounding in sin. And here in Psalm 103, the writer is echoing those sentiments. And as many of you know, that verse there is cited, and it's repeated time and time again in the Old Testament. So Nehemiah repeats it in Nehemiah 9. Psalm 86 has it. Psalm 145 has it. Joel 2 has it. Jonah 4 has it. You could almost say that this becomes a creedal statement of Scripture when whenever you're trying to work out what is God, who is God, the Lord, the Lord is merciful and he is gracious and he is slow to anger and he abounds in steadfast love. And because God is like that, because that is who God is, you can be forgiven, you can be healed, you can be redeemed, you can be crowned, you can be strengthened. And so this morning, and I know there's more to this psalm, but on this Christmas Eve, as we think about the love of God and sending and giving us Jesus at Christmas, our Savior to save our sins, I pray that as we prepare to eat and drink, that we will consider giving ourselves a good talking to that we will tell our souls, that we will stir up within ourselves, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, all my inmost being. And may I not forget all his benefits, all five of them. I sit here this morning, forgiven, healed, redeemed, crowned, strengthened. All I want for Christmas is love, God's love, and its life, altering benefits.